Welcome to the Technoy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing and true automation by going to activecampaign.com slash technory. Get your first two months for free on me, and you will understand if you open our newsletter, it was probably from Active Campaign, and that's an easy place to click. Okay, today's show, Funimation, the CEO Colin Decker joins us here. Um, this show, so I think people who listen to my podcast, you know, obviously. A lot of them are looking for companies that are equity crowdfunding and they can invest in. They, they go to the new newsletter and they follow me on Twitter and I talk about all these different investments I make. About once every five shows, I get to do something that is just basically pandering to my own personal desires. This is one of those. Last week, I talked to Jason Freed from Hey.com so I could complain about email and how much it drives me nuts. Um, this is one where we get to talk about anime and all kinds of just different ways of creating content. And in, in particular, one area I cannot wait to dive into with Colin here is the influence of Eastern Asia, Japan, and, and alike in the content, but also in like how we as people experience entertainment. They were always way ahead. The trends when we first see them, if you're kind of an early adopter here in, in America, at least, you see it and you're like, well, that's bizarre. And you don't quite understand it. And then five minutes later or a year or two later, it's like all you do and you the TikTok, like you're just like, what in the hell happened here? Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things that happen as a result of that. Like it changes the way that we create. It changes the way that we view the possibilities of video, the way that we communicate with each other, just so much stuff. So the center of this conversation is going to be on what Funimation does but also what its impact is and where sort of uh, if we could look into the crystal ball where we're going. So Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. So I teed it up. I mean, I think you, you pretty much can just go wild here. I don't even know if I have to I mean, be here. I can just go get my coffee and you just start talking. Well, listen, you, you said, well, you, you said a mouthful and um, as anybody on my team can attest, you're doing a dangerous thing, handing the mic to me on the, on the subject, especially the way you said it, <laughs> which was, I mean, it's beautiful the way you, way you kind of set that up. Um, where to begin, right? Um, there's, uh, I, I, you know, I can do the, I can certainly talk you through the spiel about what Funimation is and all that, but um, it is a really, really interesting topic, actually, what makes this unique or what makes it like different and why do people react and why is this candidly a bigger media marketplace than uh, most um, actually in conventional media. And um, why is it that no one seems to know that, right? I mean, that's, I think the most interesting. Totally. Thing. It's, it's uh, I think it's bizarre to me and I, I'm sure we'll get into this, but it is bizarre to me. The, there are, I guess put it this way. There are very few things, entertainment or otherwise, I mean, sports, it doesn't even matter what it is that is so ubiquitous and so huge. And yet there's this like segment of people who use it, see it, see the influence every day, uh, but don't actually know what it is, don't know the source, don't know like what's yeah. going on and, and actually don't know the derivation of it. And I think it's, it's super important for a, a lot of things. I want to tie it to something that we've talked about on the show before and people are familiar with, but esports and gaming, mm -hmm. I think this yeah. has just, it, it's like, it's almost a, a two-way street. It's a massive impact on what we see in gaming today and what people uh, what a lot of game developers are working on. And it's also a huge impact on like gaming itself impacts the, the, what can be conceived on the animation side. So um, I guess wherever you think is the best way to start here. I mean, look, it's um, I'll cut to what I think is just the most interesting thing you said is why don't people seem to, I mean, 
there's kind of this like uh, when you look at the numbers on esports, when you look at the numbers on gaming, for example, anybody who's been in the entrepreneurial space or looked or who's kind of spent time in a space trying to do something new, trying to identify an underserved customer market, you see that you say like that is pure opportunity. Weirdly, why don't other people see it? Well, I think in media in particular, there's one kind of foundational problem, which is um, especially in America, U.S. media entertainment industry, uh, they tend to they tend to overlook those things which they probably don't have a vested interest or can't control. Right. So um, my favorite analogy that I carry with me quite a bit is when you think about, for example, music or, um, and over the years, over and over and over again, different sort of genres or movements of music happened. And just as one had secured its position and was marketable and had a robust audience and an ecosystem around it, a new one came in and everyone sort of denied that it existed until it would spill over. So I'm talking about rock and roll. I'm talking about um, heavy metal in the 80s, yeah. rap in the 80s, right? Heavy metal is one of my favorite ones um, because you've, you know, you look at like a Metallica, right? Um, and I'm going to pop, I might get this a little bit wrong. So somebody might fact check me on this, but like it, it, the story goes like this in the eighties before sound scan, which was kind of this way of handling inventory management with an actual barcode. Before that, it was really just the, the CD one-stop distributors would kind of call their network of things, say, okay, what were the sales this week? And we had this unprecedented string of Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, right. For, you know, forever. They implemented SoundScan, and the first thing that happened is a bunch of artists dropped out of the top 10 and a bunch of new entrants and names that no one even knew popped into like the top 40, top 50, top 100. And one of those I recall was, was Metallica. And it was like the first time, because they'd, they'd released a couple albums, I believe independently. And um, if you asked any teenager, if you asked any kid, they'd say like, yeah, that's, you know, there's like punk, skate punk, metallic, you know, metal, you know, there's all these different kooky flavors. No parent would ever understand what they were talking about, of course. And um, and suddenly it's from a, an empirical data-driven source. It was like, that's a thing. And yet it was still kind of like, there was just this repeated kind of, we don't, we're not going to acknowledge that. We don't have control over it. So we want to pretend it doesn't exist a little bit. The interesting thing is it, you know, by the time you get to the late eighties and you know, a band like that spills over and actually writes a song and does a video at the time that, you know, pushes into the mainstream. Everybody suddenly acts like it came out of nowhere, right? But of course, it was, it was there the whole time, right in front of everybody's face. The same is true for bands like Nirvana, etc. I, I go to music for that example because I think it's really similar to anime. It bears all of the same trademarks, right? One, your parents don't get it. <laughs> Fundamentally important. Um, yeah. Two, it is very identity driven. Um, it's very much about saying, sure, the content itself is the core, but it's also about uh, finding other people. And another, if you're a fan, if you're wearing a t-shirt of like the Grateful Dead or something, you know, they don't even put, the, the words aren't even on those logos. Those are fan created actually. And other fans go, oh, me too. But what they're really saying, they're not saying like, oh, I love, you know, um, you know I love their first album so much. What they're actually saying is, I'm like you. And I see the way, I see the world through the same eyes. It's a shared 
point of view. And typically it's also a point of view that's kind of more like, even if even look if you look at things like heavy metal, which to the outside world looked like, you know, it was gonna convince all of our children to do horrible things. I don't know if you remember those lawsuits where they were, you know. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like, no, actually, if you spent time with that community, you would see that they're they actually are very much coming together to say, hey, we see the world differently and we see a better world. And this is just sort of like artistic expression. It might be cathartic, it might seem angry or whatever, but actually the coming together part is very positive, believe it or not. It's never negative. So you've got parents don't get it, uh, brings people together um, through a shared point of view on the world. And then of course, there's just something other about it because it's new and it's different. And differentiation is, I think, a really important thing. And today, more so than ever, if you are, you know, absolutely accelerated by the internet, but also by, frankly, the consolidation of kind of mega brands and mega budget marketing. Um, if you were somebody who was kind of in like the fandom space, for example, like if you're like, hey, I'm really into Marvel stuff, you know, not 20 years ago. Yeah. You were still kind of a little, you know, it was a little quirky. It was a little to the side. Um, kids today are, they have more choice. I mean, they have way too much choice. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. And the things that are competing for their attention between games and TikTok and, you know, Discord and whatever, wherever they're spending their time. And Zoom school. Don't forget Zoom school. Yeah, they're, Zoom. All, they're all working hard at Zoom school. You know, it's an incredible amount of competition, which means they're getting saturated with marketing. I mean, like the pressure on, especially the big franchise IP from the from the just general entertainment spaces, it's a lot of pressure. More so than ever, millennials and, and now this next generation, you can see it in every way. They look for differentiation. It's a natural thing for young people to do, certainly. But anybody who's looking for something different, um, they typically start to find their way to anime. Um, we have a huge audience between sort of 13 and 34, and we get a lot of people for life, frankly. Um, our audience noticeably over indexes on LGBT minorities. Um, most of our sort of geographic dispersion, you know, in the US, but also internationally, totally. Uh, undermines any sense of where the concentration of this political group or that political group is. It's all over the place. And um, what we know, what we know is kind of this, that our experience in anime itself, uh, the simplest way I can put it is that it tends to appeal to anyone who feels or has ever felt like they were looking for something different because maybe they saw the world a little different and maybe they felt a little on the outside. You know, maybe that's a literal thing where it's just a feeling. We have people that are super mainstream who are fans, you know, lawyers, doctors, whatever. Um, we certainly have a lot of young people, um, but it's really spread all over the place. And clearly the binding element is not just, oh, I just love that show. I'm a big fan of that show. And it's not just, I want to hang out with people who are demographically, geographically, politically, just like me. No. It's about, just like music has that ability, it's about finding a through line that uh, kind of binds people and it's a shared point of view. So there you go. That's like, I mean, no, that's- Listen, that's I don't want to get yeah. too uh, overly deeply philosophical here, but I think you, and you, you did, but like, I don't, this is something that I don't think I've ever heard before. The way that you just put that, and I, I'm giving you all the credit on this one. This is just me, the listener, trying to re- 
respin this. If you go back in time, nothing changes. It's a cyclical. It's the same thing. You talk about Metallica, you talk about Nirvana. What I see in the world, and I, and I think the internet for all its faults and some of the good things it does, this is one of the things that it does well. You talked about LGBT, you talked about um, you know, minorities, whether that's financial, color, gender, whatever. There's a ton of these people out there. The communities are gigantic, but they're fragmented. And they, there's something new that comes around every generation or two. Metallica, hard metal, rock and roll, Elvis Presley, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Michael Jackson to his effect, Michael Jordan, you know, all these different kind of people. They align, and anime obviously is one of them, they align with a certain crowd of people who find themselves marginalized, only to come to find out through this one single source that they're one of millions. And then all of a sudden it makes a pop, it becomes popular in pop culture and becomes known by everybody because somebody who was not paying attention looks at it and goes, well, Jesus, there's a lot of people who are into that. All those people were out there. It just took a single source for them to be like, whoa, one individually is one of many now. And I think it's, it's a, a cultural phenomenon, but I also think that like there, so I feel like this is not talked about a lot. It, it, people point to this as like a trend. It's so much bigger than that. Yeah. You think of like Frank Sinatra. Okay. Let's go like, you can even go back to Charles Johnson and, and like, like old school, right? Music. Born is jazz. Elvis Presley, born as rock and roll. Beatles is born as pop culture and mania. You go into sports, Michael Jordan, born as basketball, whatever. We can do this all day long. Each one of those people and those things spawn 50 different things that take their own little route. And I personally, just if I'm placing bets, anime might end up being one of the things that you look at and you go, the world isn't the same because it's the one thing similar to video games where you can have a human looking person, character, avatar, whatever, do unhuman things, do superhuman things. And that means that the creative flexibility is limitless. And we can only do so much CGI and we can only do so much human behavior. You can only jump as high as you can with the chair behind you. But if I put you in anime, you could jump through the roof, through the floor, through 92 roofs and save everybody along the way. And I, I just think that creates this like imagination, which going all the way back to wrap up the little philosophical piece here, that's the attraction. You talked about Metallica. The attraction is that I can relate to these guys. I can understand their plight. The attraction of anime is that if I'm a person who feels marginalized, I can do anything. And that's the part to me that is attractive. Yeah, it's absolutely right. I, I think the, um, and, and, and I have to underscore when we talk about what it means to feel on the outside or feel marginalized, um, I have to underscore that you'd be surprised how many people who appear mainstream still experience that. We all feel that way. We all oh my God, yeah. yeah, we all have moments or times where we sort of feel like, well, we've, you know, uh, we're a little unfulfilled. Or I feel that way all week. No, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's, um, there's, uh, I think most people go through life wanting to be understood and wanting to be accepted and wanting to feel comfortable and, and um, appreciated and, and they want to feel like they're contributing value. Right. And, um, you know, we all find that in different ways. I think from entertainment, there's just kind of two, if you really, dissected it there's sort of two paths one is like appreciate this thing this one thing that was made for everyone and the other path is 
we're going to overtly speak to someone and do it and now with the internet in particular, but there's just so many different ways to do it. Um, by the way, really great brands find a lot of different ways to do things like that. Um, I was fortunate to work with the Virgin Investments Group for a while. That's literally what Richard's thing is. You know, he sort of started this kooky, you know, record label a long time ago with what at the time was viewed as kind of a profane name. And um, then it ends up on the tail fin of Airbus 300s. How, how do you go from there to there? How did that happen? Yeah. Right. And, um, and again, it's not just about category and it's not just about product um, and pure exchange of like dollar value. That is always in the mix in the world, but that is not what it's about. It's about, they got to a place where the Virgin brand meant something and it stood for a point of view. And when you looked at like Virgin America, I'm sure you flew, you probably flew Virgin America at some point. Um, you know, when they started rolling out those Airbuses and, you know, it was, they were all going to the same airports. They were the off airports. It was JetBlue and Virgin America. And I used to fly a lot and, you know, would always hop online and like check the prices, right? Like listen to the, it was the same flight, same plane, same capacity, same fuel capacity. They're both dealing with, you know, fuel prices. They do hedging and all that, but fundamentally it's the same thing. And Virgin would charge 20 to $50 more. And people would joke and say, well, it's because they have like, you know, purple lights and attractive attendance. Yep, that's right. Because they understood who they're talking to and they're, who they were talking to was someone who was like, I don't want to feel like I'm on the bus. I want to feel like I'm a little special. And that really worked. Um, I think that that's to a certain degree, the space that we're in actually, because anime is really important. It is the center. It's an incredibly like fertile place, right? Um, and yes, exactly as you positioned it, it you it gives you total permission to um, you know think and imagine. Um, and and the interesting thing is, there's kind of like creator worship, like in the sense that you might you know be like, wow, I really love you know Game of Thrones, and why wow, that writer is just really incredible, and I'm really appreciative of that. Same thing happens for creators of anime series, but the identification with them is much more personal. It's like you are really seeing the creator's vision and it's kind of all about blowing your mind in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like it's, uh, it's kind of funny because, you know, here, like we want to be famous, you know, if, if, if somebody makes a movie in the U S it's like, you know, you want to have a big box office and be like really you know, the biggest bang and all that. Um, that's certainly true for anybody who makes art. You want to have success, you want to reach people, but it's um, in a way like the creator space, it's kind of, it, 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 like making a really successful franchise derivative thing is fine, but you have to blow people's minds. Like you have to connect with that viewer very directly and show them how your brain is working as the creator. And, and you know, you've got to outdo yourself. You got to outdo everybody else. Um, you know, so like, you, you know, the weirder the better <laughs> in a way. I Listen, I, I totally agree with you. I The part of this that's so... And this is going to sound counterintuitive to, to the listener, I think, but the artistry in this. So I'm not taking anything away from anything from big blockbuster movies to indie films, to stage act, to music, even for that matter. The, there, I think there's a reason that South Park was such a hit. I think that there's a reason the Simpsons is such a hit. 
I think it, it's, it, there's a lot of people involved in this. I'm not saying it's all one person, of course. There's a ton of people very similar to a stage play or a movie. Mm-hmm. The difference is, though, the creator, the visionary behind anime or art, cartoons, comics, going back a while, comic books even to that effect, mm-hmm. is they ultimately control the what is said and displayed. Like yeah. people could have their versions and things and whatever, but when you put it in a human being's hands, the actor can be on or off. They could yeah. get it or they could not. They could showboat or they could not. And you could have this movie that should be amazing and the actors are amazing, but it sucks. And it's, there's a, almost inexplicable. The director may have done a fantastic job, but whatever reason, you know, uh, Bill Murray took it and ran. And you, no one tells Bill Murray not to take it and run. Right. You don't get that. In anime, and there's a purity to the art, which I think what I what in my mind was so fascinating about South Park is the writing and all this stuff is super cool, and and, and you know there's a lot of writers involved in that. But I almost feel like I'm turning a key and I'm looking through the keyhole, watching inside of this dude's brain. I'm watching yeah. those guys like say and do things that I. And also, there's there's a a, a language, there's a freedom because it is a cartoon or because it's an animation, there's a freedom to say and do some things that if a human being watched another human being execute it, you might not be able to consume it in the way it was intended. And that yeah, makes this right. a wide open tapestry. 100%. I mean, in, in, the, in the case of South Park, like the animation, the deliberate sort of deconstruction of the animation, right, is such a critical thing um, it, because it is... It, it, like every episode, no matter what, there's elements of that animation that deliberately say, this is crappy animation. And it's almost like they're, they're slapping you, like, don't even stop looking at the animation. Yeah. Not what this is about. It's like, this is about like this insane, hilarious take on things. And it's very, you know, cerebral, actually, believe it or not, even though it's like a profane you know, kind of show. Well, but, but that's the thing, right? Because we talk about the cancel culture and you hear if you, if you're into stand-up and comedians, you hear about how much trouble they have going to college campuses, pre COVID uh, doing their thing. And people basically be like, Oh my God, and you're missing the message. Yeah. And if I have a cartoon or an animation, deliver yeah. the message, it yeah. dehumanizes it, which enables you to actually function and listen to it. And that was their point was like, you know, don't look at the garbage on the wall, listen to what they said. What's interesting. It's interesting that you bring those up because like in the West there's 2d and 3d, right? Yes. Western animation tradition, obviously, you know, Walt Disney sort of was the, the sort of founding father, if you will. And the earliest, if you look at like the early Disney animation, um, it's, um, it is pretty dazzling in that it was hand-drawn and it's 2D. And you, sometimes you look at it and go, they were just, they were working so hard to marry a vocabulary of animation, which is its own thing with, you know, really fluid motion and stuff. And and that's the sense that you're getting. And so you're appreciating that, actually. You're being asked to appreciate that, that you are. And then, of course, 3D, like with the early Pixar movies, it was like really solid storytelling, really fun, energetic stuff. And, um, and then this kind of like dazzling new thing, which was the 3D, where there would be moments where you kind of were like, ooh, for a second, that felt almost like real. Like it was a yeah. physical object. You know, the hair was moving so perfectly or whatever. What's interesting about 2D animation is that in the U.S. and in the West, uh, well, certainly in the U.S., it is generally pretty, pretty unfortunately, I mean, I'm not talking at the festivals, but at the mass market level, sure. it's just, uh, it's always uh, jokey. It's always comedy. It's the Simpsons thing. And um, meaning it's always going to be something that is sort of uh, essentially kind of comedy focused. 
um, and there's not nearly as much, and it's almost, it's really gone away in, you know, a big way, the idea of like doing a 2D movie. Um, like I, I don't even know what the, the, I mean, if you look at like movies like Iron Giant and stuff, I mean, there's very few examples of like a really sprawling, ambitious feature film in actual 2D left i just have to go to charlie brown that's what i got yeah right right and apparently uh charles schultz hated that he really struggled really struggled with actual motion animation he that was not his vocabulary it was a tough thing anime is interesting in a couple ways that i think are worth mentioning here because first of all it actually was hugely inspired by disney right in the reconstruction after world war ii i mean there's examples of animation before in japan that before world war ii certainly but broadly speaking so much innovation happens in japan during the reconstruction phase and um you know they're looking at everything from like how do we re rebuild you know motor infrastructure like transportation you get things like yamaha which was a music company right if you look yeah. at their logo, it was actually those are tuning forks you know yeah, yeah. i mean you get all this crazy innovation and you see it in, in anime, it was like, we can do this, but it's in that moment and you, you can sort of see it early on. What you see in the earliest anime from post-World War II is what to the eye appears like, oh, they're sort of trying to be or trying to mimic Disney and catch up, right? And that would be the very Western centric point of view. What's more interesting to look at is how it actually smashes together foreign influence, a total constraint of resources post-World War II, and then a deep, Japanese influence, which is actually, believe it or not, a deep Chinese influence. It goes back thousands of years. And so specifically, if you just compare the two, there's fundamental differences. One, um, if you watch anime, you know that like facial expression is actually more like a series of placards. It's, uh, we call them mouth flaps. In other words, they've just, they remove almost completely the idea of fluid motion and facial expression. In the West, we look at faces on camera to figure out how to feel right? That's how we get like the storytelling or the emotion. And then we put in huge musical scores that tells us how to feel, you know, if you're walking down the street and all of a sudden, like the symphony violins fade in, you know, something big is coming, right? But if you hear like that screeching, grinding, scary sound, something bad is about to happen, right? We don't, that doesn't happen really in anime. They borrow parts of it, but not completely. They, in the West, we do the voices, and then the finish animation is to the voice again to underscore that perfect like we're mimicking reality in anime the voices are actually done after and so it's they're totally separating those things out what that's you know then uh, it kind of, you know there was a scarcity of resources there's less frames in anime they animate less frames in general now some people know some west sometimes go what do you mean like less frames like it's more jittery kind of thing like the camera shooting no it's it's just Fundamentally, the visual vocabulary was like, well, they didn't have the resources and the manpower to kind of generate like 24 frames per second of perfect fluid motion. That was already off the table, but they didn't really need it anyways, because there was a Japanese painting sensibility that is very much about kind of big shots and stills, right? And moving more from idea to idea visually than it is about trying to actually put you somewhere and move you around in that space through editing or camera motion and um so you for example if you look up really ancient chinese paintings and stuff um the fundamental difference is that it's a lot of landscapes but the landscape always disappears beyond the frame if you go to the same period of time in europe 
you know, it's a lot of like boxes with like pictures from the Bible and all these characters are sort of packed into the box so that you can see them, right? And, you know, we're telling you what's going on and then there's some huge, you know, highly realistic gesture that's supposed to tell you how to feel. Whereas go back to Asia, it's more about what's contemplating the scene, but also contemplating what's not in the frame. And that principle, I think is very interesting with anime. It asks you to bridge the gap. Your brain has to kind of activate and stitch certain things together in a way. So it's not about fluidity of motion. It's not about dazzling, whatever. It's about consciously appreciating the brushstroke of the artist. It's really having to get into their head and figure out what are they trying to do here and what are they communicating to me about it and what's happening between the frames. And it's much more intellectually engaging in a way. Where it gets really interesting is when you get into dubbing and subtitling. And this is the area where anime really has this unique ability to travel in a consistent experience. So what I mean by that is like, it's kind of hard to dub Japanese kind of perfectly um, into English and other Western languages. Like there's not one-to-one -one words necessarily. Yep. And um, so you do get to these moments where you kind of go, I, uh, is that like sort of like a happy mad or a sad mad? And uh, then you see the advent of the fan subs, right? Like uh, fans often, I mean, there's, you know, anime users bicker like crazy about the quality of one dub versus another or one subtitle choice versus another. Um, that, that dialogue in and of itself is what I'm talking about. It's the fact that it can't be done sort of perfectly and it allows the, audience to bring themselves to the work in a way that very few other entertainment types do, right? Like you actually kind of go like, I'm interpreting it this way. Who does that to a Star Wars movie? <laughs> like, uh, you, you don't. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, Star Wars is definitely, a, you know, it's definitely, a, you know, it's, it's all about like a, a technology instruction. You know, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I think and, the, the cultural differences here, I, I, it, this is completely random, but it's, uh, I say that that's probably why the West was so susceptible to Facebook advertising to sway everything they do one way or the other, because we, we don't, we don't make our own opinion. We have you form it. You tell me what am I supposed to emotionally feel by dropping a, a little music on me and put a face there and it must be real. I, I think mean, that's a huge part of yeah, it. I mean, it's absolutely true. In the West, it's like there's a picture and it's on the machine and the machine doesn't must lie. Must be good. So, must be good. Must be true. I saw it on the internet. I saw it on TV. I mean, that's been programmed into us since the 40s, I think. But it's a really, it's a neat, it's a neat space for that reason. And I think one of the cool things, like in, in the world of anime, there's subs and dubs for just about everybody who's not in Japan, right? And yep. there's actually quite a bit of debate around, you know, who likes subs better, who likes dubs better. They're very different experiences. Um, what I love about it personally, I just think this is really cool. You know, we were sort of raised, I was raised when you saw a black and white movie with subtitles, it was like, oof, avoid, you know, yeah. boring. <laughs> like yeah. you knew it was gonna be bad, right? So we have a bias against subtitles. Subtitles are massively popular. Um, it really helps us to get this content around the world in a really efficient way. And we do, we do our best to do high quality subtitles everywhere for the subtitle stuff. We also do dubs. Um, but uh, what's interesting about it is if you get past that curve of like, I'm reading subtitles and I have a bias against it, right? You can't watch anime and read subtitles and be like on your phone and screwing around, you know, yeah. and just, it is deeply immersive. It's work. Right? And so it pulls you in. 
And the watch times that our customers enjoy on Funimation are very long. I mean, really, really long. People watch for a very long time. What they don't do is skip around and hyperactively try to, you know, it's, um, it's a very immersive experience that way. And I think all of these elements come together in a really cool way, which is it's deeply immersive. Um, it's highly differentiated. Um, it, in, it expects you to bring some of yourself to the interpretation and to the table. And it is expressly about freedom and expressing freedom through the eyes of someone who is that, that is what they're really trying to express in a way. So when you pull all that together, that's kind of, that's kind of what makes it so special. Notice what I didn't say in here is, you know, strength of IP and, you know, dominant category marketing and, yeah. you know, I mean, like there's, or stars, that's my, that's the best one. Like the idea of, you know, star driven stuff really is, is a very different thing here. It markets itself because you as the viewer self-identify versus me telling you this is for you. Like, yeah. I don't need to do that because you're going to see it and you'll, you will, you will, I can't make you like it. You're going to like it because you see yourself in me. Yeah. hundred percent. And there's, I mean, there's definitely superstar franchises. No question about it. We have, oh, like, of course. Yeah. I, I don't mean you're not marketed period. I just mean in general, yeah. the, that I can make anyone like a rom-com by and large. Right. I can't make anyone like this particular version. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can try to get you to come see it or to be open to it, but I can't make you like it because it's, it's just interpreted differently. Um, I want to segue into Funimation as a company and how you guys, yeah. you know, how you're attacking the world. Cause I, I feel like we're, we're at this very interesting, well, we could say this about literally anything right now in 2020, we're at this interesting tipping point. You mentioned the subtitles. I actually think a major reason why younger people don't have the op- opinion of subtitles that you and I might have is that they're used to being on Instagram and TikTok, which is riddled with subtitles. So like they their experience with subtitles from the get-go has been like, yeah, I, that's how I, I don't want to listen because I'm doing 52 things. So like I read yeah. and that impact. Here's what I would say. I don't, I'm not sure that it's like a direct correlation of, you know, some people say like, oh, kids aren't going to learn how to write because they've only- Oh yeah, yeah, you know. sure. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not sure that that actually is the, the right debate to be having in a way because it's kind of like things evolve no matter what. But I think um, what I will say is the, you know, between as, I mean, first of all, anime has just been growing steadily for actually several decades. Not many people really yep. realize that. And it's actually not a recent trend. It's actually just, it's like a 45 degree, you know, Kager. Um, yeah, it just marches forward. I think that when the, it was uniquely enabled by the internet for sure. And you see acceleration there. And I think that you are seeing what you're describing is there's just a generation there that sort of thinks about what it means to connect with other people very, very differently. One of the things that's kind of cool, like when I was talking about uh, music, punk rock, for example, yeah. like when I was young, and if you actually kind of crossed that threshold and kind of got into like, you know, something that was a little more alternative or whatever, as soon as other people got into it, it kind of spoiled it. You know, it was like, oh, well, now I got to go find something more. That's mainstream. So I got to go find something different. Right. And there's certainly people in anime that are so passionate about it or so passionate about their thing that they're into that, you know, they have a little bit of that possessiveness. By and large, though, what I will make, what I'll say is as a generation, when you look at, you know, people 13 to 34, this is a very different world. It is a very different generation. And they are fundamentally predisposed to connecting openly, publicly, transparently. And they have no inhibition about that and and to a degree the more uh the more anime advances 
and becomes a thing. Uh, again, this isn't true across the whole category necessarily, but it's remarkable how many of them are actually like, that's awesome. The bigger it gets, the more it validates me. Yep. That's different. Which is different. Yeah. That's, it's very different from many of the things. And I, I think there's also partly because of the breadth of, of what it can be. Like punk rock yeah. is punk rock. There's not, for it to be true punk rock, it's not going to have 17 segments of what punk rock. It's not what we look at rock and roll today and it could be anything from Jimmy Buffett to, you know, whatever. It's like, it's just the the group of people either you're like opt in, you dig this and you you see the expression or you don't. And I, I guess what I was going to with the, the text feed thing is it's, it, there's this evolution, as you said, it's been going like this. I feel like all of these things are starting to come to a head because you look at the popularity of kids movies and adult movies that are made in animation versus acted. And you see, I mean, Jesus, look at all of the LinkedIn profiles of the people who you do business with who have an animation character, myself included, instead of their face. We're becoming accustomed to this illustration of ourselves. And I, this is crazy and you may or may not agree with me, but I, I have this feeling that I do this and I like this character of myself because one, it doesn't age or if it ages, it ages very slowly. It's subtle. It can do anything. I can see it in a video game. I could, I could put it on a Snapchat. I could shoot through the moon. It gives us another dimension. And as adults mm-hmm. and regular people who maybe are not into anime or have not really had, you know, they didn't, they are, but they don't know it as they become more accustomed to seeing video games and video game characters turning into movies and turning into avatars. And now I am in the game and I can superimpose my face as a cartoon over this thing. You start to merge the worlds. And I feel like we're heading to that, that moment where someone like Funimation could literally be like, you might think it's an overnight success story, but obviously you'd be quite mistaken. I I think you're right. Look, but I, I, I maintain that underneath everything, um, and I genuinely, I really believe this to my core. Underneath everything, it's just the same human need to connect. Yeah. And we get so much out of it. The, you know, um, people today, young people, et cetera, they're just doing it different ways. It's the same thing. Um, yep. And um, it's funny because I have a 15 year old and he's learning from home right now. And uh, naturally the concern is you know oh my god he's missing out on the interaction of uh, you know what would have been his freshman year in high school and all this horrible stuff is happening what's and, and there's definitely disappointments associated with that but what is remarkable to watch is the degree to which they just naturally self-organize um and using platforms now they're out there in the wild of the internet which seems like a much scarier place i mean i've literally gone in and said to him hey hey man here's a $20, a knife, and um, some whiskey. <laughs> you do so, you. <laughs> the only condition is you turn off the computer. And he's like, uh, uh, I'm good. <laughs> like, man, when I was a kid, I would have been well, okay, you know. I'd so, be gone. <laughs> but but they, they do self-organize, and they do find that way to connect. And it, it you know, I think there's some really dark negative stuff out there in social media, particularly for girls. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but I do want to you know, say that I think there's some really remarkably positive things. And it just reinforces that people want to connect. At Funimation, we've been around for 25 years. The company started just, you know, doing DVDs actually. Um, and uh, they just identified a channel because people were bootlegging it essentially. Um, and kind of cultivated that and with the DVD boom, um, you know, they 
built a really strong pipeline. Having relationships with the, the studios and the producers and the publishers over there takes a very, very long time to achieve the trust that they're going to be comfortable with. And so we, we built that over a very long period. And um, ultimately, the company um, was bought by Sony Pictures. And then I came in just after that. And um, it, it, which has been a phenomenal experience. And Sony's a great company because they fundamentally get it. Um, and we've had yeah. just a tremendous amount of support. But the thing that, um, you know, it, obviously now streaming is a very, very important thing for us. And we do a lot across many different channels. But I took the opportunity to, to refresh on what, what our purpose was. And, um, you know, on the one hand, um, you could say, well, we want, you know, our purpose is to be like the best distributor of, you know, da, 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 da. No, not at all. And we put a lot of work into this and spent a lot of time on it. And what we came to was that the common thread, it's really similar to a lot of stuff we've touched on today, is the, the connection, the human component of it, um, how complex and multi-level it is. And it's not just about loving a particular IP or something like that. We talk about fandom. I think a lot of people think about worshiping something. Um, and you certainly see that in the world, but that's, it's different. It's where the anime fans are fans kind of of the fandom, if that, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, and so when we really pulled it apart um, from like a mission perspective, the internal mission, right? The thing that we, we use to kind of give our own North Star. It's not like a tagline or anything for the public, but the internal mission, at the end of the day, what we, what we could say that we know is that a very important threshold that everyone crosses is belonging. It satisfies the need that we all have to find the different places in life where we belong, whether it's uh, a home life and a relationship or work. Um, and then even beyond that, you know, what you do with your non-work time um, is usually when people really look to hone in on a very personal version of where do I belong? What, where do I get the greatest sense of community and belonging from? And so uh, our mission is we help everyone to belong. And that might seem a little like, you know, that doesn't have any, I didn't say the word anime, I didn't say the word distribution, yeah. I didn't say anything like that, but that is what we do at its core. And for us today, especially to now more so than ever, um, what I, we say like a broken record is we're not in the business of anime, we're in the business of inclusion because that's really what this is about. By the way, inclusion and like customer acquisition are, I don't know why those are not more tightly coupled. <laughs> right. To your point, this is a huge opportunity. These are big opportunities and people overlook them, but like that is absolutely, they are not mutually exclusive. They are absolutely virtuous, you know? The better that we are at inclusion, the more clicks and works and resonates. I wish more companies could share them. that point of view, frankly, but, but that's, uh, um, I, I totally that. agree with you there. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of businesses I think fail on and startups I talk to, I say this to them on the show a lot. It's, I don't think they quite understand what I'm saying, what you do, who you are and the vehicle and medium you use to distribute that are different. They're not yeah. the same thing. Like yeah. you can ship whatever you want, but like at the end of the day, like I, I interviewed Mark Randolph was the original CEO of Netflix. And he mm -hmm. was like, he's like, you know, at its core, what we did, we used to send DVDs in the mail. That was it. What we really did is we brought families together and created joy. That's what we did. We made people have a nice time together in the household and, and brought the movie theater experience to the home. Mm -hmm. And it was like, how we got that to you is irrelevant. You know, that's our job yeah. to figure that out, but that's not what we do. 
Yeah, that North Star is so critical today. Um, I, I mean, you can't be a brand without a point of view today. I don't know how that's even possible. That is a change brought around by the internet. We, we often say we need to be everything to someone, not something to everyone. Like the idea that you can just sort of, you know, you can point to examples, obviously, of companies that make sort of monolithic products that, you know, have incredible global scale and reach everybody. That's absolutely true, of course. But that sort of conventional way of thinking that from an entertainment perspective, um, that your job is to just sort of create like a monolithic object that is dominant, um, that's, that ship has sailed. Yeah. I mean, my God. I mean, I'd argue that those companies you're describing that successfully did it, um, the company itself may have a PE firm E sounding North star, but they own a bunch of brands that have their own individual North star Procter and Gamble, Johnson and Johnson type. Yeah, they yeah. have each one has their own thing. So they still yeah. did it right. They just did it different or got too big. Yeah. But one of the things we say often, I mean, I don't think anybody like, you know, nobody who works at Procter and Gamble wears a t-shirt that says Colgate. <laughs> Except for the Colgate team, maybe. You never know. Maybe they just Unless really they like toothpaste. Okay, that's like, yeah. I use that expression all the time because people talk about competition in our space. And you know, obviously the major tech players at this point yeah. are huge, huge uh, competitor. Um, it's certainly Netflix. I'll just, you know, you, you would have asked me about it. So I'll bring it up. Uh, you know, Netflix has made some moves into anime and people always ask us if, uh, what do we think of that? And fundamentally, my answer is we're, we think it's good for anime fundamentally that there's, you know, um, different audiences are addressed in different ways. Um, but at the end of the day, we are for someone. We are very specifically for this space. And um, what I always I jokingly say, I mean, Netflix is a great company, should be, you know, admired in a lot of ways. But I'm like, nobody wears a Netflix t-shirt unless they work at Netflix. And in our world, it's very different. I mean, there's a deep, deep connection that people have with the companies that are specifically for these folks. And that's what- That's our, the that's, cool part though. That's yeah. what, like, that's the part about not just the anime, but, you know, kind of the modern business is you're going to always have these giants in the space. Like you can't, competition is what it is. And, you know, I talked to another, not name dropping or just random tidbits that you've brought up that make my brain explode. John Chambers was the former CEO of Cisco. And one of the first questions yeah. I asked was like, you don't do anything particularly special. I mean, other than right. volume. Right. And he was like, I never paid attention to competition. I only paid attention to the customer. I don't care about the competition. Customers who I care about. So yeah. as long as I deliver to them, they, they, they will wear my Funimation t-shirt and my Yeti mug. That's, that's I'm sure. Well, and you have to have faith, right? That's one of the most important things that people lack. And I think leadership in companies, you can see right through it when, when there's weak leadership in the sense, you have to believe. You have to believe yeah. in what you're doing. Right. And if you don't totally. have conviction oh about there's something that I can do and that we can do as a team for these people that is just, that's awesome. Right. Then what are you doing? Like that's, that's, you're going to fail and you're going to waste everybody's time. You know what I mean? I always, I always uh, say that, you know, when someone says, well, we talk about companies and you look at startups and stuff. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you just have to do something that someone really, really wants. I like doing two reallys, you know, that yeah. makes a, a compelling business case. Yeah. Right? The extra really with the <laughs> emphasis is what but makes them know it's, it's real. It's like that simple. And the only way you're going to get to that is a conviction and a deep level of belief. You know, I didn't say your opinion. You better be good at getting the opinion. You better be, you got to build a team and you got to yeah. like, you got to be very open to experimentation. You got to fail. You've got to, you know, um, 
you've got to undermine yourself even, and then you develop new convictions based on those learnings. But if you don't have that, I don't even know how you would do it. I don't know how you're a brand today without saying, we know exactly who we are for, and we know we have deep conviction that we can solve a problem or create an incredible experience for them. I think that's when it all just becomes work. If, if this isn't something that you breathe right. for and like, yep. you know why you're doing this. Like I, I've talked to, I don't know how many people I have this conversation yesterday. If it's about the money, I can literally project based on looking at your history, how long you'll last. Right. You can only right. chase the green, the green yeah. leaf for a little while. And then it's like, all right, it needs to be yeah. driven deeper. And if money happens, great. If that's your thing. It's funny because we see it. It's, very vividly um, apparent in in like our teams and our employees. They're pretty passionate about this. And uh, I with, you know, interesting too, I mean, we have a lot of people who, well, we have a lot of people who are just fans of anime, obviously that's that's impossible yeah. to avoid. We also have people, one of the things that is important to me is that, you know, I say you don't have to be into anime. You don't have to be an anime fan confirmed, vetted uh, to, to work at Funimation, but you should want to be. Yeah. I would, and I would hope be, so. And you should be deeply curious about that. And if you're someone who is, that's actually the right person because they are the kind of people who just have a, a deep curiosity and a passion for learning more and connecting. And like they get that part of it and that's the deeper level. And, um, and that's what makes it really exciting. And when you have that, you have a sense of purpose and you really know that you're there to serve somebody, man, working, it's a, it's a whole different thing from a management perspective. Then it's more a question of like, okay, channel the energy in the right direction. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'll, I'll wrap up on this. It's, I don't know if you can tell behind me, but literally every single thing that I have in my existence is not real. It's all right. some sort of imagination, illustration, whatever. And I think a lot of people I work with and do things with are like, man, you don't live in the same reality. And I'm like, no, literally, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I live in a cartoon <laughs> land and that's about it. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating. I think there's something that there's something curious to something that really has no end. I can, mm -hmm. I have to search and search and search and search. I can't ever get there. You guys are building something just incredible. I think the world is a better place for it. This conversation uh, was, go, will go down as one of the, the best conversations that we've had on the show because it was, we talked about your business. We talked about, anime and all this other stuff, but we never talked about it. <laughs> like, you know, you know what I mean? Like I got every sense of every single thing that you guys are about and what you do and why you do it. And we never actually asked that question. And to me, as a person who interviews people, that's like the Holy grail. So I appreciate you helping uh, me achieve that today. Well, this is great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoy it. And um, obviously, you know, uh, like I said, my, everybody works for me is if they're actually listening to this podcast and made it all the way to this point, they've, they've rolled their eyes well out of their head because they're like, this is, Oh yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That that's okay. We, we hope, we always hope for people to get to the end of the show, but you know, sometimes, sometimes we go on for a while. I appreciate it. Con where do people go to learn more about you guys and to follow? I have a feeling you have a following yourself. So where do people go to follow you? Well, I, I don't have a following. I, I, I'm, we got to start that. You I'm have to way too many good ideas. I, 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 that's probably the Episcopalian upbringing, but I, 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 I just can't, <laughs> I can't handle that. Um, absolutely. <laughs> it's really simple. You go to Funimation.com and, um, and uh, we were available on over 15 platforms, all the biggest ones, uh, all the greatest devices. And uh, we're expanding every day for sure. So Funimation.com is where you can probably start and, 
get into it all. Awesome. Colin, thank you so much. Um, everybody listening to this show, you can get this show, subscribe to the Technori newsletter by going to technori.com, follow me. I do try to cultivate a following. I, I don't have the Episcopalian background, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shameless about it. So uh, follow me at Katoon at Technori. Boom, that's a wrap.